This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you as always. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, Please go to AmericanOutRadio.com and uh, check out what I'm doing there tonight, 6 to 9 Eastern and... Also, uh, you can listen to last week's shows if you missed any at AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. We are working on additional platforms for the podcast of the American Out Show, including, by the way, if you didn't already know this, uh, you can listen on the Blaze Radio stream every night. Buck Sexton with American Now is on the Blaze Radio. It's on from 11 p.m. to, or sorry, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. So you can listen to it there. You can also download the podcast of it there as well so uh, i am on the blaze radio stream and of course every day here with you 12 to 2 p.m it was quite a turnaround last week uh, for the trump administration it was really astonishing uh, when you look at how much the media thought they had the trump team on the ropes how much they really truly believed that they were in a position to do damage to this administration And then Donald Trump comes out with a press conference that was one of the more entertaining press conferences. No, no, scratch that. It was the most entertaining press conference I've ever seen. No question about it. The most entertaining press conference I have ever seen. Okay, so we start there. It was incredible. Uh, And I'm not saying that everything he said was true. I'm not saying I loved everything he said in terms of the content, but to have him call CNN not fake news, but very fake news, was hilarious. A lot of the stuff he did. And watching the press response to all of this, they really do think that they are the center of American democracy, that they are the center of our civic life, and that any assault on them is some sort of irreparable, irrevocable, uh, mortal sin for the republic. It's just not true. Why can't the president criticize the press? What is this notion that the press should be above reproach? Donald Trump isn't saying, I'm going to lock up members of the press. If he did, I would stand against him. And I believe if he did, people would pressure the Republicans in Congress to get him to either knock it off or, yeah, then there are procedures in place in our system to remove a rogue president from office. But he's nowhere near that. It's just not even worth talking about. 
He makes fun of the press sometimes. Why do we have to think it's okay? I really have to ask this. Why do we have to think it's okay that the press are 90% Democrat, 95% Democrat, whatever the real number is? We, we think that that means that we're getting an honest shake. We're getting an honest uh, and forthright discussion of what's happening happening in this country. Of course not. That's complete and utter nonsense, and we should see it as such. It's so refreshing. I work in the media ever since I've been reading the newspapers and paying attention to the world, which really I'd say is probably junior year of high school. I started to become politically conscious. Uh, and ever since I've, I've been involved in these issues on my own way, whether it was just reading at home or however, I've just been completely flabbergasted by how much of the narrative is determined by leftist Democrats who think that their version of the world is the only version of the world and that anybody who challenges that need be either mocked or uh, minimalized or destroyed, one of the three. It's never that they like their point of view and you like your point of view and that's all supposed to be okay. They don't have a live and let live mentality at all. And I just think it's about time we stopped allowing... I mean, it, it is. People now are starting to use pearl clutching and snowflake on the left, I see, because they, they don't like it when it's applied to them because it, it hits home. So now they're trying to confuse things by taking it, by appropriating terms like pearl clutching and snowflake and use them against conservatives because it stings, because it's true. The progressive leftist, the Democrat response to so much is, oh my gosh, it's so terrible, what are we going to do? Or... Uh, well, yeah, that, that's the pearl clutching version, or you can't say that it creates an unsafe space and it makes me sad and, and making it sad is basically an attack on me. So it's almost like violence. So I'm going to use violence to stop you. I'm going to throw things at you and shout you down and punch you if I have to, cause I'm a snowflake. Yeah, that's the way that they act. It's really common. It's part of the mentality of being a Democrat is acting in that way for a lot of people, not all of them, but so many that it's worth pointing out and it's worth paying attention to. So Trump turned everything around with his uh, press conference. He put a stop. Uh, he, he really stopped the bleeding that the administration was having in the press. Oh, Flynn is gone. Oh, it's just so terrible. What are we going to do now? It's, there's no national security advisor. As I've pointed out to you, Okay, I mean, General Mattis is Secretary of Defense. You've got a huge military, national security, and intelligence apparatus in this country full of professionals, full of patriots, doing their jobs. That doesn't stop because you don't have an NSA for a few days. They never make such a big deal out of this. And I, I will get into some of the investigation stuff and all of the, oh, we're going to find out what's going on with Russia. I just want to know, when nothing is found, and I know that the response to nothing being found will probably be from those who are saying that Trump is uh, a traitor and would, and would and betrays America, has betrayed America, and would continue to be, betray America for Russia. I know that those who take that point of view will most likely, at least many of them, say that even when nothing is found to support that point of view, when, when the, there's investigation after investigation, and nothing comes out of it that proves that point, they'll just say, well, we haven't found out yet. It needs more investigation. It needs more investigation can become a form of intellectual dishonesty. And I want us all to be very clear on that. You know, it's like saying, oh, well, it just it needs more study. Well, some things are always in a constant process of study. But, you know, you can't walk around claiming, for example, at least not in my view, 
You can't walk around claiming, well, we're going to make people live to 200. Um, you just need It just needs more study, and then we'll be able to do it. Okay, well, maybe it needs more study, but you can't walk around claiming we're going to expand life expectancy to 200. That's a dishonest thing to do. I can't say that you're wrong, but you can't say that you're right, and you're the one making the, not you, you know what I mean, the royal you, the general you. One cannot make that claim. But there was the press conference, and then over the weekend, there was this rally in Melbourne. And I have to tell you, the Trump press conference was the most effective press conference I've ever seen him give. It completely shut down the media-feeding frenzy. He was just smacking the piranhas left and right, punching the sharks in the nose as they were coming in for the feeding frenzy. And they were shocked by it, of course, as they always are. And then in Melbourne, over the weekend, he gave this rally, and it was quite a rally. He, of course, goes after the media. Here are some of the highlights. I'll get into more of this, too, with you as well. Of the fake news. The dishonest media, which has published one false story after another, with no sources, even though they pretend they have them, they make them up in many cases. They just don't want to report the truth, and they've been calling us wrong now for two years. They don't get it, but they're starting to get it. I can tell you that. They've become a big part of the problem. They are part of the corrupt system. Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, and Abraham Lincoln, and many of our greatest presidents fought with the media and called them out, oftentimes, on their lies. When the media lies to people, I will never, ever let them get away with it. I will do whatever I can that they don't get away with it. They have their own agenda, and their agenda is not your agenda. Very true words from the President of the United States. What he's saying is true. They have an agenda, and it is not the agenda that matters to huge swaths of the American public, huge sections of the American public. Uh, The media does, uh, overall and in general, look at average, everyday Americans with disdain. They think people, particularly without a college degree and who don't have a passport for their frequent travels internationally and who don't embrace that a man can become a woman with thoughts that they're a woman and that just go down down the line of, of what progressives believe now. That social justice means that you can Uh, You can truncate, you can limit, you can take away the rights of an individual because of what was done, not by him or her, but because of their racial identity, their ethnic identity, uh, their religious identity, and based upon the the prevailing political orthodoxy of the day, uh, they can have their rights uh, forgotten about because of rights that were not fully realized for other groups in the past, i.e. affirmative action and social justice, balancing of uh, you know, different groups and identity groups and how they, they want hate speech now to uh, 
make it so that you can't even discuss the threats from, say, radical Islam, and you just go down the line. Um, Trump rejects all of this. I understand that the, the hesitations that we... Look, I shared a lot of the hesitations about Trump, and I still have my hesitations and my concerns, and I still watch all of this warily. But I got to say, this is such a breath of fresh air after just the nonsense of eight years of Obama and just the smugness. And here's what I, what I really want to get to. Uh, the dominant, the predominant political orthodoxy of the Democratic Party and the progressive left, of people who hate Trump, of Hillary voters, of Barack Obama voters, it's not everybody, I can't speak about everybody, but the dominant orthodoxy is one that is uh, unkind, that crushes people to make political examples of them, that does not respect individual freedom and difference, that does not view people as individuals, but always as members of groups, and then takes it upon itself to balance out which groups need what and who gets what for whom and and that they are willing to ruin lives, ruin reputations, end careers, and even take away people's freedom for the wrong thoughts. These are the animating forces behind the American left today. This is why you can't walk around your office or even a barbecue in your own backyard if the wrong kind of people are there, meaning Democrats, and speak your mind and be honest about what's happening to you and be honest about what you think is going on in this country. It's a very particular kind of narcissism and virtue signaling that allows progressives in this country to sneer at anyone who points out that massive migrant waves into Europe from the Muslim world haven't really worked out so well so far. And in some places, there have been really uh, terrible effects of this, whether we're talking about terrorism or the... Uh, mass sexual assaults that have occurred and and that we're supposed to ignore this or rather if you're not willing to ignore this you're a bad person and those who will ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist they're the good people Uh, that's what just rubs me and and so many others the wrong way and that's why the fact that trump isn't so sophisticated in his thinking about these issues is really in large part his appeal He just sees things the way that a normal person who hasn't been indoctrinated, who hasn't been constantly uh, bombarded with this social justice messaging, he just sees it the way that a normal person would. Trump is a billionaire, but he sees everyday life like a construction worker or a plumber or or anybody. And that's not to single out any one profession. I'm just saying he's like like a normal person doing a job. He doesn't see everyday life like a journalist, like a psychotherapist, like a career politician. Uh, he, he doesn't see it like a Hollywood actor, even though he's had so much media exposure and is really a creature of the media in many ways. You know, you get the sense that the and this is why also the left was like, oh, Trump is a trust fund baby. I mean, he is. And his, his children have inherited a lot of money, too. And I think. People need to be careful when they start to hold up. Yeah, I think it's his children. Look, I know one of his children, one of his uh, children very well, um, or not anymore, but I used to know her very well. But they're nice people and and they're smart. And you know, I, I don't think that we should all sit around uh, worshiping how impressive they are. And they've been given a lot, 
I don't mean a lot like a lot of opportunity. They've literally been given a lot. But the point is that, yeah, Trump is really rich and he's given his kids and his family a lot. But he sees things the way that just the normal average Joe sees things uh, in, in so many different contexts. And that has real appeal. And that's why when he goes to these rallies, people are fired up. In fact, Thomas Jefferson said, nothing can be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself, he said, becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. That was June 14th, my birthday, 1807. But despite all their lies, misrepresentations, and false stories, they could not defeat us in the primaries and they could not defeat us in the general election, and we will continue to expose them for what they are, and most importantly, we will continue to win, win, win. There are so, there are so many that look at or listen to this rhetoric, and all they want to say is how empty it is, and they forget that after eight years of pretending that Obama was a genius, which he most certainly was not, and eight years of pretending that hope and change was a slogan with meaning, which it was not. And eight years of acting like every Obama speech off a teleprompter was, uh, you know, Churchill's, we, w- we will fight them on the beaches speech. I mean, a- after that, th- they have no credibility now to point at this, which is really an issue of taste and what resonates, and say that it's terrible. No one wants to listen to it. All right, team, we've got a lot more. 888-900-3393. Uh, we will be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back. Great to have you. As always, 888-900-3393 if you want to call in on the phone lines. So Reince Priebus, White House Chief of Staff, was on uh, Fox on Sunday uh, with Chris Wallace, and he was asked about this tweet where Trump referred to the media as the enemy. I just wanted to share... Uh, I wanted to share a little bit of this one with you. The fake news media, failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, CNN, is not my enemy. 
It is the enemy of the American people. Reince, the president believes that a free and independent press is a threat to the country? No, I think I think for the most part, and I, and I understand where he's coming from, um, is that there are certain things that are happening in the news that just aren't honest. And we're not talking about everyone, Chris. We're not talking about all news. But we're talking about something that I guess he's turned Okay, we get it. But you see, what I, so that's the response. He's just like, look, he's he's trying to call out the media, and maybe he goes a little little over sometimes. But uh, you know, calling them the enemy, I don't think he means they're the enemy. As in, well, Trump translation is a dangerous game to play. I'll admit that. But I don't think he means the enemy, as in people need to view them as uh, enemy, like you would in warfare. Obviously, but you're saying they're they're the opposition. I thought that. It was pretty funny when Bannon referred to a bunch of reporters who were lined up outside uh, an office in the White House as the opposition all lined up. I think it's true. Uh, look, I, I've I worked at CNN, and, and look, I'm I, I don't know how else to put this. I'm more adept and knowledgeable and smarter than a whole lot of people that get a lot of respect and are are treated way better than I ever was over there. And the reason is my politics. Uh, I mean, they'll bring complete clowns on over there and treat them like they're really worthwhile, have a lot to say, have a lot of knowledge, have a lot of worthwhile background, but they're Democrats. Someone like me, always marginalized, and they pretend to have voices over there and give them a fair shake, but it's not the case. And look at ABC, CBS, NBC. Who do you think most of those anchors are voting for? So it's very clear who the opposition party really is and the media is a part of the opposition and why is speaking the truth so uh, so terrifying to these people i think that tells you a lot all right team we're gonna hit a break Stay with this is the buck sexton show the blaze radio network All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. I can't let this go. I have to go back to it, Uh, the Trump-Melbourne rally. I said that last week I thought he gave one of the best, most effective, certainly most entertaining press conferences. Uh, It was the most entertaining press conference I've ever seen, bottom line. And it changed the whole narrative of of the news cycle. Remember, the media can process the news cycle they can influence it. They can make determinations about it. But Trump is a one-man news cycle. They can't ignore this new president. Uh, they know that. And there's only so much they can do. I mean, if he's going to give a press conference, what, are they going to have a media blackout on the president's press conference? Even if they try, think about that. If they even tried, he would just live stream it and Fox would play it and you'd be able to see it elsewhere. And it would drive this media is dishonest narrative home even more if they did that. So they have to cover it. And while they can say he's terrible, he's horrible, and go through all the snowflake stuff and all the pearl clutching, there's only so much they can do to change, uh, to, to change the perception that people watching things would have, especially when it's Trump providing the raw material, in this case, a press conference and then a rally on Saturday. But he gave that really effective press conference, and then he gave this, ra- during this rally, he did something that I thought from the perspective of just political optics and what his movement, such as it is, is all about, was a was just it was brilliant. 
It was brilliant. And he called this guy on stage who seemed like, again, a very average Joe kind of guy. This isn't some fancy individual. This is just somebody who's trying to make a go of it in life and believes in Donald Trump. We'll see if that belief is well-founded or not, but he believes in Donald Trump. And Trump's doing a rally. Remember, this is the president of the United States now. This isn't even a candidate. He's at a rally. There's Secret Service everywhere. And this is amazing. If you didn't see it, it was worth watching the video too. He's at a rally, and he calls somebody from the crowd that he does not know. He calls that person up on stage. He calls him up. And a lot, and, the, and the Secret Service, you can see in one of the videos, are trying to bar this guy's path. But Trump is just saying, no, 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 let him through. He's not going to hurt me. He's going he's gonna to hug me or kiss me or something. Let him through. This is... This is the kind of stuff, and I always say this about pre- We have gotten into this mode, everybody. We need to stop. Where the president, oh gosh, the president he needs to have like a, you know this phalanx of a thousand vehicles with him at all times. And no, okay, well yeah, if the president's going to visit Baghdad, whatever security measures they want to take, fine, I'm all for it as a taxpayer, fine. But we got to stop acting like you know the, the president is this delicate flower and can't. I don't know. I mean, whatever happened is sort of shaking hands and walking around. I mean, now, if you've ever lived in D.C., you'll see what I mean. They shut down the entire roadway between the Naval Observatory and the White House and other places. So they can shuttle these uh, these politicians back and forth. You know, you look at other countries and the, 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 prime, or the prime minister, the premier, whatever, the president. It's like an armored car or two with a bunch of guys with machine guns and they just go about their business. Yeah, the president can, the president should be able to go with Secret Service and go for a walk, all right? Uh, anyway, um, so he calls up the, this young uh, this guy from from the crowd. It's a pretty amazing sequence. I just want to play some of the audio for you on this, and you'll you'll get the picture as Trump describes it. This guy is great. Don't worry about him. No, 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 no. Come here. He's literally telling Secret Service there. He's on. waving them off. Come on, come here. Come here. This guy, so he's been all over television saying the best things, and I see him standing, and then you get here like at four in the morning, did, say a couple of words to this crowd. Mr. President, thank you, sir. We the people, all movement is the reason why our president of the United States is standing here in front of us today. When President Trump, during, during their election, promised all these things that he was going to do for us, I knew he was going to do this for us. Thank you, Mr. President. Oh, Mr. President, thank you so much, sir. A star is born. A star is born. That's fine. say that Secret Service was thrilled with that, but we know our people, right? We know our people. Let me ask you, do any of you think for one second that in the first few weeks of his presidency, Barack Obama would have called a stranger up from the crowd, waved off the Secret Service, 
giving the guy a big handshake and told him just just go for it. I, I have to say this uh, this notion that is is peddled by so many that that Trump represents uh, dangerous uh, dangerous populism. To me, that's that would have to indicate that those same people saying that believe that there are tens of millions of Americans who have really dangerous political ideas. And when I hear the Trump supporters saying what it is that they want and, and believe in, and I'm not talking about the internet trolls and the alt-right and the other uh, much magnified by the media uh, sub-elements and subsets of the, you know, the, the movement of people that are supportive of Trump for which he is not responsible. I mean, if, if the alt-right is responsible, or if Trump is responsible, rather, for uh, neo-Nazis like uh, Spencer, then you have to also say that environment, environmentalist terrorists and the new Black Panther Party and other just completely out there insane groups of the left, that Barack Obama is responsible for them. I know some of you are saying, well, Buck, actually, if you try to trace back the roots of the Democratic Party to some of these other groups and Soros, and I, I know, I know, but I, I wouldn't sit around claiming that uh, Obama was, was giving orders to any of those groups or he was tied to them, and that's what people say about Trump. But I don't understand the fear, and maybe this is because, and I put this out there as, as a means of establishing with all of you some credibility about where I am and all this. I, just, I grew up in New York City, and so Trump was around here, and we all kind of knew him. I mean, Trump is almost like a, a New York City mascot in a way. He's just well-known here, and you all know, because I've told you that I, I was friends with his daughter for a number of years. She was a very nice, very normal girl. Is she still normal? I mean, is she? does she now think that she's super special? I have no idea. I hear nice things about her. She's still friends with a number of my of my good friends. Uh, but she was a really great girl. I, I have a really hard time believing that someone that I knew and someone whose family I spent time around, I didn't know Trump well at all, I shouldn't say. I met him a couple times, but his family I knew, that they're about to be uh, the vanguard of some sort of fascist movement. It's just crazy talk. I, I will say this to you. There is a little bit of a goody two-shoe streak in conservatism. And I think it's because the progressive left is, is so bereft of any morals or any morality or any integrity that we try to counter that by being very fastidious and you know, conservatism is much more uh, associated, of course, with real religiosity with people that are that are are at least in Christianity and Judaism. I mean if you're if you're a believing traditional Christian, a believing traditional uh, orthodox Jew, you are very likely if not entirely conservative, certainly have conservative leanings. So, uh, you know, you, you look at this and and you can see how okay, conservatism therefore is associated with taking moral stances and moral positions. Whereas uh, the Democrat Party and liberalism and progressivism is, identif- is identified with just taking whatever stance feels good, and uh, and it's really the erasing of borders and boundaries, with the exception, of course, of constantly trying to destroy your political opposition. Right. So you know you can believe anything in liberalism except that there's morality. I mean, you can believe anything in liberalism except that. Uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. I mean, you, you can believe anything in liberalism except that you know, maybe you should wait until you're married to have kids. You know, th- these sorts of these sorts of things. Uh, you know, it, it's open to everything except what what is in opposition to 
conservatism. But, and, and I, I want to say this, there's also a, a strain of conservatism that's a little that's a little too plain and a little too there there can be not pearl clutching but a, a grumpiness uh, a lack of fun and vibrancy i don't mean in the ideology i mean among conservatives i also believe by the way and this is just a side note and this is where i come down on on these issues i, I can't say that i can prove this but my sense of the arts and how conservatives aren't well represented in the arts is not that conservatives are less likely to be creative. It's that that's the original place where you've seen a lot of um, well, what's happened on college campuses uh, has happened even before then in Hollywood and the arts and in theater, whereby if you, you know, because you're talking to people who are creative and they're operating in fantasy land, literally in fantasy land a lot of the time. They, they tend not to like to be around people that are rooted in reality and believe in right and wrong and believe in, in substance. And yeah, you see, you see where I'm going with this. But I, I do think that conservatives uh, can produce their own creatives and have, of course. And I don't just mean writers, but I mean people that are involved in you know, movie making and act, arts, artists, people that paint things and sculpt things. But they've been pushed out of that and you're you recognize if you're going to be in the creative fields and you're going to have conservative politics that you're going to run up against all sorts of problems and you know anyway i i digress i know this is this is a bit of a digression but i'm, I'm trying to bring this all the way back now to okay so the goody two-shoes strain within conservatism uh there can you know a little bit of a sour attitude towards things can be prevalent sometimes uh, also there's there's an unforgiving streak in conservatism um, and of course the left then uses this as a battering ram against us or that that we have principles at all becomes weaponized on the left and anytime a conservative politician does something that is morally unbecoming not i'm not even talking about in office unethical or illegal but just that's morally unbecoming usually it has to do with infidelity or something along those lines you know conservatives have a problem with that liberals could care less i mean we're liberals it's you know who who what does that matter unless it's a conservative in which case there's you know, it's it's hypocritical um, and so i know that this is i think part of the objection to trump is that he's not and by the way i'm trying to work my way through a lot of this trumpism that's going on right now because I'm sick of hearing the same things from everybody all the time about this. I, I'm really trying to think about this from many different angles. It's very easy to say that Trump is, you know, uh, an overtanned, weird-haired, vulgarian billionaire who's just speaking to the the lowest common denominator on the right and everything. Uh, one, I, I think that's I think it's unfair. I think it's oversimplified, and I think that it's important now to take a step back and really. Forget about what was said during the primary about uh, Trump and his promises, and because now we can evaluate them as they come along. So I don't care what people's predictions were. I want to see what Trump does, and I want to see uh, what his presidency is like. That's much more important to me than the predictions from uh, fellow conservatives. And I so there's a, there's a goody two shoes aspect to it, which I find very unbecoming and annoying. It's one of the parts of conservatism that's always been. I, I think uh, difficult for me because I'm I tend to be very uh, forgiving of people that make you know they're the errors that we could all make and they're the errors that are really that show a really deep sociopathy or a really deep uh, evil or uh, cruelty or those I do not forgive but you know people make mistakes and you look at Trump and his life and this is a guy that's you know he's got some scars not not physical that I know of but he's got some 
some scars. He's made some mistakes. Uh, but I would think that as a conservative, I don't need somebody in office. And this is where I diverge with well, a lot of them. And a lot of conservatives get mad at me when I say this. And it's cool. I'm just sharing with you how, how I'm thinking about this stuff right now. I may regret this in a day or two, team. But um, for me, uh, I don't need somebody in the White House who is a life lesson for me. I don't need a moral uh, a moral guide in the White House. I just need somebody who loves this country and does a good job and does what's right for the American people with the powers that are given to him by the people and the Constitution. That's all I need. I don't really care. And, you know, we tried Mitt Romney, and it's not like the left gave us any credit. We tried we tried squeaky clean. We tried family man, above reproach, successful, smart, handsome, kind, polite, brilliant. All We tried all that with Romney. Look where it got us. Now we've got Trump. It's a little different. And I haven't seen anything that he's done as president that's going to make your life or my life so far worse. And in terms of the narrative, and I'll, I'm, I'll probably speak a little more about narrative in this side of the break because I got a lot to share on that too. But team, I got to hit a break here and I'll be right back. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Hey team, it's Buck. I, I went super long there and I got all into the discussion of Trump. So uh, this is going to be a, a real quick one before we go into break. Um, but I just wanted to say that our sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. Simply the best place you can go, period, is Silencer Shop. They've got all of the best brands. They've got fantastic prices. The customer service is excellent. If you're thinking about a silencer for your farm, the place to go is silencershop.com. You can see the testimonials on the site. You can see everything they've got going on there. And when it comes to getting the paperwork done properly, Silencer Shop has got you covered. They've done tens of thousands of those transactions in just the year 2016 or 2015 alone. Uh, And I'm telling you, it's the best place to go. So go to silencershop.com, silencershop.com, and help make the world a quieter place. And uh, hour two coming up, I want to talk to you a bit about Uh, attacking the narrative and what that really means and why I think I'm giving some leeway to Trump here. Maybe I'm just in a Trumpy mood because I had a good weekend, but uh, team will be back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto and Prodexa users. If you or a loved one has taken the blood thinning drugs Zarelto or Prodexa and suffered an injury or even died, you could be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Call 800-553-4751 now. Zarelto and Prodexa have been linked to internal bleeding, strokes, and pulmonary embolisms. If you or a loved one has taken these blood 
blood-thinning drugs and have been hospitalized for internal bleeding, you could be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Don't be a silent victim. Time is limited to file your claim. Call now for free information and a free consultation. Lines are open 24-7. Call 800-553-4751. That's 800-553-4751. 800-553-4751. You could be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Call 800-553-4751 now. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Thank you so much for being here. Great to have you as always. So I've got some, you know, there's there's deep thoughts with Jack Handy, which was an old sketch. Some of you may remember on SNL from back in the day. And I've got some Trump thoughts by Buck Sexton. I know we talked about a lot last hour, but look at matters a lot right now. I promise tonight we'll have some other stuff on uh, Buck Sexton with America Now. Hopefully get into some NATSEC, a little more on the policy end of things. Um, but this is a, a lot of what I feel like the the day side or the, the 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. show on the Blaze Radio for me uh, feels like these days because I have to do so much radio and so much talking and thinking about all these issues is it's when I can really just share a lot of uh, what would be stream of, of consciousness about all the news events. I read it in the morning and I read the night before, of course, as well. And then at, at noon now, I get to give you sort of my unfiltered sense of where things are. And then at night, we do a little little more of a, of a pro- produced, traditional uh, tone show. But I, the more I think about the, the Trump phenomenon, uh, the more I realize that, or the more I, at least I come to the conclusion that, of course, it's messy. And of course, there are things about him that aren't right. And the tone... Let, let, let me let me try to explain my my thinking on this a bit better than I perhaps am doing right now. Which for a radio host, it's really important how you express yourself, as I understand it. If you're going to take the media narrative to task, if you're, and, and by the way, the media narrative is is just that is a, a, a amplified voices of Democrats across. Well, I shouldn't say across the country because they're really located in a few main urban areas, few sort of major metropolitan uh, parts of the country, right? Democrats really own New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, Washington, DC, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, some other places too. But th- th- those are the Democrat strongholds. I mean, that's where they have huge numbers, tremendous influence, a lot of money. By the way, you, you don't really hear me to talk about this very much, but in the last election, most of the rich areas of the country, most of the well-off parts of the country went for Hillary Clinton, of course. So somehow there's still this idea out there that the Republicans are the party of the rich, but all of the really rich people that I know are Democrats, uh, with, with very few exceptions, um, not including people I work with who are conservatives in media who have done very well. There are a few, there's obviously a lot of very well-paid conservative uh, radio hosts and political commentators and all the rest of it. But people that I know from my day-to-day life in New York who are really rich, they're Democrats. I can't, I think of a handful that are Republicans. They're all Democrats. So 
Republicans is the party of the rich is just old thinking and it's not true and, and it's nonsense. Um, but we've been dealing with this for a long time and I, I have days, uh, honestly, I have days where I think to myself, it would be so easy to just go to the other side. It's, this is, why do I do this? Why do I choose? Because I, mean, I, I love words and ideas and I love radio and TV and writing and, and anal- analyzing things and learning about things. You know, if I, if I hadn't gotten into media, um, the only reason I ever thought about going to Wall Street or finance was so I could make enough money to live as an adult in New York City. It's very hard to live here. Um, and But, I mean, I would have loved to have been a teacher. But, again, if you're a teacher, you run up against this. Uh, I don't mean a teacher. I really more of a professor, I think, would be more my speed. But I, I love this process. What I get to do with you all every day is is a gift, and I'm very, very thankful for it because – I share thoughts with you and I try to entertain, but I also do research and there's, I learn from you and I read the things that you're sending me all the time and, and the Facebook posts and the, the links and Hey Buck, what about this? And the questions that, you know, it's, it, the life of the mind there is, is fan is fascinating and it's fantastic. Um, but I do think sometimes it is so much harder to be a Republican in this city, to be a conservative and it is harder career-wise. I mean, there's really only one channel where you get to be a conservative and not be made to feel weird, okay? And the channel's Fox News. Uh, there are very few major publications, and there's no major newspapers other than the Wall Street Journal, but there's very few even major publications to work for where you can write as a conservative. And it, it just, it's just harder to, to be to do the things that I want to do. It is harder to have the ideas that I have, the ideas that you and I share uh, and so i think you know why do i do this and then i always come back to, well it's who i am so this this turns into it it almost starts to be a, a social justice snowflake moment from the left I mean, this is just who i am it, i'm just this person and uh, but it's true uh, this is who i am this is how i think and i don't I, I wouldn't be happy with myself pretending to be something else and i think eventually you would just drive yourself nuts positioning you know posturing and pretending to be somebody you're not so i've just i just accept that this is going to be harder than the other side of things it'd be great if i could be a smug democrat you know smug democrat former cia officer who gets to go on tv and you know everyone at cnn is so nice to him and everyone at msnbc thinks he's brilliant and you know colleges across the country would want to invite me and you know the big publishing houses would want to throw more money at me than i'm worth for my first book all that kind of stuff right that's just not going to be my deal but when I look at why that is, it's because there are these built-in assumptions in conversation and in the world, in the, in the realm of ideas and in the sharing of ideas in this country, there are built-in uh, really prejudice, uh, prejudices. There are preconceived notions and there are lines of thought that are ossified. They have hardened. They are very difficult to get around or break through that you know you know what the and this this is true in political correctness it's true in dealing with any of the sort of democrat political orthodoxies this is what is out there and if you're going to this is where trump comes in now if you're going to stop that if you want that to end if you don't want to be in a situation anymore where that's the case we're we're not going to convince cnn it it, it, it has to be a campaign of counterpunch. It has to be 
dramatic. It has to be to the mat. It has to be visceral and intense. And did anyone really think that an administration or, or even better, a political movement that takes the media head on for its biases was going to be polite? And I know I start to sound, and it's it's a little, I, I can understand for some, it's a, it feels a little weird for a second because I know this was early on for some who were on the Trump train very early. This is what they were saying, and I wasn't really buying it. But now that he's president, I see what's going on. I think to myself, well, we want someone to change the system. We want someone to change the narrative. We want someone to change the discussion. There's no way that they're going to be able to do that. There's absolutely no way they will do that without making the people who have made a living and, and, and they've positioned themselves behind these ideas and they use these ideas to silence others. And that their whole position, their posture, their lifestyle, their sense of self is based upon the truth of these lies. Look at these huge journalists, TV journalists at the major networks and you know, the, the columnists for the major newspapers. And, uh, you know, you just go down the line. The heads of the Democratic Party and their, their biggest donors, their position in life, their sense of self, everything is for them rooted in these things being true. Climate change is about consensus with science, and if you don't believe it, you are some sort of imbecile and anti-science, Bible-thumping moron. Um, you know, affirmative action is necessary because we have to make up for historical ills and also current discrimination against non-African American groups that we want to give affirmative action to because they're having a tougher time because of white privilege. White privilege is a real thing. White privilege exists, and therefore people who don't admit white privilege is real are a problem, and their, uh, their achievements must be seen in a different light because their privilege is always factored in everything. That's all, that's all true. Uh, a woman's right to choose is a central part of a, a, a free society, and it is the, the centerpiece of uh, liberated women, and it is about women's rights, and without a right to choose, women are oppressed, and they are second-class citizens. I mean, you just go, you go down the line with all of this. Uh, and you, whatever, the, whatever the core issue is for the left, you go down the line, oh, you know, that, that people should pay, other people should pay more in taxes because the rich need to give more to the poor, but the rich people who are Democrats shouldn't have to just give more. They shouldn't just give more themselves because it's about other people giving more money. It's about the system forcing others to give up money in order to help the poor. And that's fair. But individual Democrats can pay very expensive, high priced uh, accountants and lawyers to get them out of as much tax as possible. And that's not hypocrisy. And, you know, you just go down the whole thing. And I could I could do this about atheism versus uh, Christianity. I could do this. You go down the line, and they have they have formed this elite layer of society that has certain beliefs, and you have to hold certain beliefs to be a member of that elite layer of that elitist sect of the internationalist, globalist, progressive American. And you have to believe these things around, you know, to be in that club. 
and we think that we're going to stop them from acting that way. We're going to we're going to end their totalitarian and oppressive mindset by by just persuading them. This is what I, I have to say. This is the the moment that I've had where a lot of the early Trumpers who were reaching out to me, and they were in the beginning, they were pretty quiet about it. Um, you know, I, I think I was honest about my feelings about Trump always, but I may have been uh, harsher on him. You know what? Actually, it's it's not that I was harsher on him. I should have been harsher about Ted Cruz, who I find to be uh, pretty, yeah, unlikable is a fair way to put it. Uh, I don't mean that as a personal a personal attack. I, I don't know I don't know Senator Cruz Ted. I don't know Ted, uh, but he comes off as disingenuous to me, and that's a huge that is a huge problem. Huge, I know. Every time I say huge, now I think huge. It's a huge problem for a modern politician, for any politician. And I, I think Ted Cruz, who is you know a Canadian born of Cuban parentage, who now is like Mister. Uh, Mr. Texas and twangy and everything else, you know, I mean, he went to like Princeton and Harvard and was pretty snooty at those places from what all of his classmates said. So, you know, I'm not sure that it's all authentic. I'm just and I, and I probably should have come out and said that, although I felt like at the time, Trump and Cruz and I should have I, I was trying to push for the candidate that I thought would be best. And I did think that he would have been a very, uh, very effective and very good president. But he wouldn't have done, he wouldn't have been this he wouldn't have been a possible antidote to the progressive pandemic. And that's what we see happening now. But what I'm trying to, in a very loose and stream of consciousness way, I realize, is to bring you into my thinking on this because I think, I feel like uh, Trump being so hated by the media and taking this un, uncensored, unorthodox approach to so many issues, and the way that he is, and the fact that he doesn't care what they say, and is in their face, and calls them out of press conference, how else did we think the narrative was going to change? I mean, I can ask you this. George W. Bush was not a brilliant man, but not dumb at all. That's a, that's a lie, and it's a slander, and people shouldn't have gotten away with saying that at all and it's you know it's a very good intelligence test actually anybody who says george bush was a moron is in fact a moron george bush was not a dumb man and it's nonsense that so many people were saying that but he also wasn't he wasn't an intellectual powerhouse by any stretch i mean that's that's also fair to say and his last name and his family wealth were the most important parts of his you know worldly success i think that's also fair to point out but he was he was within the realm of your standard politician, you know, um, and I think that he, his heart was in the right place. I think that he was a good man and a patriot. I think he loves America, and I think he wanted to do his best and do right by this country. Um, and sure, he had a couple of little moments where he would mix it up with the media, but nothing on the scale that we've seen from Trump. Um, but did he change the narrative? And I mean, the only thing I can point to would be. Well, he was willing. He he really went after Al Qaeda, and he his response to nine eleven was roll up the sleeves and go for the jugular, go for the enemy. And I and he deserves a lot of credit for that. He gets so much heat, he gets so much nastiness from people because of the mistakes made. And there were mistakes with the intelligence in Iraq, the way they sold. It. They should have just said, look, we got to go into Iraq because we're you know it's a drain the swamp of a different kind. I mean, drain the swamp of. 
of, of jihadism and the autocracy that feeds jihadism. And, and does anyone really think, look what's happening in Syria and elsewhere. I really think that Iraq was going to be the island of stability. I mean, that's nonsense. I can't prove a counterfactual or I can't prove a counter historical uh, situation, but I, I think it's, you can at least surmise anyway. But Bush was trying to drain the swamp that way. But Trump is trying to drain the swamp here at home. And I know he, apparently he didn't like that analogy to begin with, but I think it's funny and I can understand why he wasn't such a big fan of it. Um, but it does have a, a, a meaningful, it does bring out certain sentiments. And I think that it can be a useful way of thinking about things. Um, but wouldn't we need someone who is hated by the media and goes after them and is disruptive you know, disruptive is a word that they use. They, people love to talk about disruptive in Silicon Valley and in the technology world. You, you want to be disruptive. Oh, this is a disruptive technology. It means that the status quo, the way of doing things, the way of thinking about things changes. With Trump, what we have, it seems to me, is a disruptive presidency. And don't those of us who are sick of being told what to say and what to do and how to live and, and you know, that have uh, the freedom. People say, oh, how are your freedoms? Freedom to, freedom to speak, to think, to choose different paths for yourself. That's all being, freedom to own property and not feel like it's just what the state lets you keep and not feel like the state's always determining that there are other people that have rights to your property. You know, property rights are an essential part of a of a civilized society. I mean, this is always lost. You know, the left just thinks, oh, well, you know, you're lucky we'll let you keep what we, what we let you keep. You know, the government should be taking even more. But if we're going to change the way all of this is done, don't we need a disruptive presidency? Don't we need somebody who's hated by the left and who takes the fight to them? And not just in a legislative agenda and executive orders and the workings of government way, but that too, but as a narrative, as part of the debate, as part of how we talk about things, did we really think that we would get a transformation in the way this country is allowed to think and speak and act and be without it being a major disruption to the way things were in the past. And with this disruption, of course, comes angst and anger and fighting and everything that we're seeing right now, my friends. All right, team, I'll be back with you in just a minute. Stay with me. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, team, I got so fired up there again with my discussion about my stream of consciousness on where Trumpism is that I went a little long for that segment. So um, I would uh, love to take a call if you got one coming in, 888-900-3393. Um, and uh, hope you enjoyed, if you got a chance morning to Fox Business. Um, I'll, I was on 6 to 9 a.m., with Maria Bartiromo, that was actually Dagan McDowell, 
at the helm, uh, who's great. I think Dagan's fantastic. She's really smart, really nice, really good at what she does. So we're going to switch some uh, topics up here. we got a lot more coming up, team. So um, I'm going to uh, take calls if they come in. Also, of course, tonight, 6 to 9 Eastern, American Now Radio. Best way to listen, AmericanOutRadio.com. If you want to listen to a podcast of it, go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. I got to say, with friends like Trump has on the, and and you see this now with the administration in general, with friends like some conservatives um, that they have, you got to wonder, they don't even need enemies. They they got problems coming in from their own side of things. Uh, Here is, Chuck Todd was on Meet the Press, and he asked David Brooks about, uh, about Trump, and this is what he said this week that you had were headlined how should one resist the trump administration that was a valentine's day uh, what a failed trump administration looks like um you have that's pretty declarative in 30 days enemy of the people i'm an enemy of the people uh you know what my fear of the administration as it's shaken out so far is not that it's incipient fascism it's that it's anarchy uh, there are 696 appointed jobs that need require Senate confirmation, and the Trump administration hasn't come up named for 692 of them. And so there's nobody home in the government. The civil service has basically opted out because they've been offended by Trump. The court system has given themselves permission to block every Trump initiative because they've been attacked by Trump. The intelligence community is some sort of disarray or disaffection. To lead, you actually need to lead a government. And the government has gone AWOL. And so in one of those columns, I liken him to Captain Kirk on the Starship Enterprise at the command deck, pushing the pretty buttons, but they're not attached to anything. And I've been in touch with a lot of foreign officials this week. They're noticing, and they're afraid of a, a weak United States. You know. Uh, okay, so the, pro- the problem here, as we're being told this, is that Trump is so bad that the government refuses to do its job. Um, why would why is that okay what what about civil servants these days makes them think that it's all right for them to for them to decide they're they're gonna as he says opt out oh they're gonna opt out why we no longer have what are we talking about here the people work for department of transportation department of the interior department of labor uh they don't have jobs to do anymore the, the Amer- they're so offended by Trump that the American people can no longer depend on them. You'll notice it's very interesting. No one ever says the military is opting out. No one's ever saying, oh, well, the military refuses to play uh, ball with this president. It's the civil bureaucrats. And I think this is wildly overstated wildly overstated i have to be honest with you so it's supposed to be okay that people who are paid by the taxpayer people that receive their salary um, from the federal government are just are are opting out 
What is that? First, I think I think David Brooks is wildly overstating the case here. You got to start with that. Uh, I, I do not think that there are going to be walkouts from the federal government. And, you know, I'd really like to know. I'd like to see some of these federal employees who are so principled and so anti-Trump. And uh, let, let's see some walkouts, meaning they resign. I don't mean walkouts. You know, they're not allowed to protest. Sorry, you don't get to work for the government. Say, I'm not going to do my job. But isn't it fascinating? The military's not doing this. And we, no one expects the military to do this either. Does anyone, I mean, you look at the numbers, the military voted more for Trump than for Hillary overall. And uh, law enforcement, do we want to take a guess as to whether law enforcement voted more for Trump or for Hillary? So who really is anti-Trump? Uh, maybe this is where I start to get into the fact that the intelligence community is far too big. Yeah, that's right. It is way too large. Oh, and this is the kind of stuff that'll get me in trouble. It's too big. There are so many analysts looking at all this stuff. One of the reasons why I wanted to leave was I felt like there, the, dupli- the duplication of effort and the amount of people, uh, the number of people who were assigned to each specific issue, it was just mind-boggling. And I, I would think to myself, how do you feel like you have any real investment for a lot of these people in what they're doing in a day-to-day sense when they're going to write a memo on the latest, you know, political happenings in Durkistan. And there are people, there are a hundred people, a DIA writing on Durkistan. There are a hundred, I mean, I'm making these numbers up, but I'm just saying, you know, there are a hundred people at wherever writing on Durkistan, at, at, you know, NSA on Durkistan. There's a thousand people at, you know, the DNI on Durkistan. You just look around, you're like, okay, well, I'm writing memos. We're all writing memos. We're all using the same intelligence. What is this? And, and how is this supposed to be more effective? The intelligence community is way too large. And it has also become a very comfortable place for people with master's degrees in international affairs who think of them, who want to be very worldly and everything, but don't have, um, uh, you know, don't have to deal with the stresses of private sector life. You know, I've dealt with the stresses of private sector life. I've, you know, there are jobs that I've been applying for and jobs I apply for even before I was in media, didn't get them. Um, had in media now uh, jobs come and go people hire you they fire you they uh, you don't get the offers you want to get you think you're being passed over you I mean this is you know in the government you just have to show up you have to show up and uh, yeah i know there's great government employees too and i understand all of that to be sure and i have friends who work in the government who are fantastic people and i'm aware of all of this but overall this storyline that the government is opting out of a Trump presidency, this is not okay. This is not acceptable. Uh, This is in no way something that I think reflects so badly on Trump. This really reflects badly on people who go to work for the government. What are you doing? Was your mission important or not? And I don't just mean in the intelligence community. I mean elsewhere. Did Did it matter to you when you showed up at the Department of Commerce? Or were you just collecting a paycheck and like that you work for the federal government and the perks that came with it, and you're surrounded by other people that have you know good educations and uh, you it was about was it about you or is it about serving the American people? Because if it's about serving the American people, why would having a president that you don't like change that? And and what makes anyway? I, this is maybe all of this is, in a sense is is not moot, but is is 
much I'm spending more time on this than I should because I also think this notion that the bureaucracies aren't has anyone he says there's anarchy where's their anarchy the government's not where this is only somebody who spends all their time surrounded with people who think this way would think this way what part of the federal government is non-functional right now what part of the federal government is not working where where am I seeing that where is there a federal bureaucracy that has all of a sudden uh cease to function because of Trump and Trumpism. I'm, I am not aware of, of, of this, the existence of this. So again, you David Brooks. Now David Brooks is a conservative who's not really conservative and that's, that's all fine. Um, I mean, it's not good, but it is what it is. Um, but then uh, you look at Trump's fellow Republicans you know, Trump is now the de facto head of the Republican Party. Uh, we need to understand. This is just, that's reality. Like it or not. But you've got John McCain out there, and he's going with this dictator thing, too. This is what he had to say. I'm curious of your reaction to a tweet that the president sent uh, Friday night. The fake news media, failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, CNN, is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. You believe the press is the enemy? You believe any group of Americans are the enemy of another group of Americans? I was talking about the period, as you know, of the New World Order. A fundamental part of that New World Order was a free press. I hate the press. I hate you especially. <laughs> but the fact is, I we need you. We need a free press. We must have it. It's vital. If you want to preserve, I'm very serious now, if you want to preserve democracy as we know it, you have to have a free and many times adversarial press. And uh, without it, I'm afraid that we would lose so much of our individual liberties over time. That's how dictators get started. That's how dictators get started with tweets like that? With no, they get started by suppressing a free press. Okay, a few things here. Uh, you got Chuck Todd saying that, yeah, a tweet like that is how dictators get started. I mean, that's just that's just childish. It's it's nonsense. But there you go. Oh, the media. Oh, we're so essential to democracy. Isn't it also interesting? It's worth pointing out that in an era where every, where anybody with an internet connection and uh, and and a following is really a part of the press now. You you can start you can start a blog and have a million readers a month. Uh, so this is also I think I mean there's an existential issue for the media for the press here too. Who are they? I mean yeah, they've got these legacy institutions that still exist that have big reach and a lot of money and a name and subscribers, but they're so essential. What if the New York Times closes doors tomorrow, would we would we be a worse off country? I don't think so. I think we'd be a better off country. So why exactly, why exactly do we have to sit here and listen to all of this uh, chest beating from you know, from members of the press about how they're so essential to keeping us from from a tyranny? Uh, you know, they had Barack Obama when he was president threatening to pull all funds from schools that didn't allow boys to use girls' bathrooms. That's what he. That's what he did, and, and they weren't talking about tyranny then. You know, your your daughter now, your twelve year old daughter under a Barack Obama regime was in a position where she was being told she had to get changed in front of a 12-year-old boy. That's what the administration's position was. 
and they were going to pull funds from your school. We weren't hearing about tyranny then. We have to hear about tyranny now. You had Barack Obama. You had Barack Obama telling nuns that they have to buy, or else the government's going to find them, going to take their money. They have to buy birth control under the health care plan. Nuns, and there's you know he's not didn't want to grant them a religious exception. You had the federal government suing nuns, saying you you have to buy birth control, and and now we hear about tyranny. I'm I'm sorry. It's not just too little, too late. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. You had Barack Obama weighing in on specific, on individual criminal cases. You know, if I had a son, he would have looked like Trayvon. I mean, before a jury verdict had been reached because of the politics surrounding it. And, and you know, but, but now we, we face tyranny. You had race riots under the Obama administration in Ferguson and in Baltimore or riots that were primarily uh, rooted in racial animus towards the system, you know, however we want to call it. But there was a time when you just would call it a race riot. A riot over perceptions of racism and over issues of race. And now we get to hear, and, and the administration, the president, uh, always taking the, the, the tone that, you know, this is stuff that happens and, the Justice Department will investigate. And really, just the Justice Department, you know, you were at a point where there, a mob somewhere would burn down a bunch of CVSs. And the response of the, of the Justice Department was, well, this is complicated and we need to work on police, on police relations. And maybe we should find some way of saying the police department's racist. I mean, that's what they were doing. But now we get to hear about tyranny and why John McCain thinks this is helpful. And also, by the way, John McCain, I have to say, I just got to say this. John McCain saying that he hates the press. John McCain loves the press. Look, the guy, the guy's got a very, very healthy ego. And I, I know, you know, this is where Obama's country and everything. I, I understand. He served his country. So, you know, always have to say we serve his country so honorably. Uh, that doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything he says. And it doesn't mean that the guy is awesome all the time, always and forever in everything that he does. So, you know, there's, there's a part of me that's really sick of the cult of John McCain, which is... You know, he's the Republican that goes out there and criticizes Republicans. The moment you start to say it looks like he's showboating a little bit or he's doing this for his very his own purposes, it is, oh, well, John McCain, you know, look what he did for his country. What have you done? You know, OK, well, so now I don't get to have an opinion. Now someone else doesn't get to have an opinion because John McCain, you know, I mean, yeah, you start to get into the whole thing of, OK, so does, does everybody who is. It just, is everybody who, who served in the military and, and was in a POW camp, do, are their political views for the rest of their life above reproach and no one gets to argue with them? Because that's what it starts to feel like with John McCain. And, and you know, I don't think that anyone would take the position of, oh, well, yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, uh, but, but I digress. But McCain saying this is how dictators get started. This is not helpful to anybody and it just goes to show you that there are going to be a lot of unhappy people in the elite sectors of this uh, of this government and also of this country overall who are not happy what's going on. All right, team, uh, I'm going to hit a break. We'll be back on the flip side to close it out. Stay with me. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
Brooke Sexton. Team, I, I've been going very long on the first segments today and, and not going quite as long with the with the uh, the last segments of, of the hours here. So I just want to take a few moments here to say that um, it's been so awesome and it's been noticed by all of the powers that be on my, uh, my new uh, nationally syndicated terrestrial radio show uh, that Team Buck has come along with me, um, that you guys are all uh, by my side and, and helping promote the show and listening to the show and calling in. And that, that means the world to me. It really does. And I'm doing five hours of radio a day these days, which is, I've never heard of anybody else doing five hours of solo talk radio a day ever for more than a couple of days. So uh, it's a lot, uh, but it, it is made much easier by the fact that I have all of you uh, supporting me and with me. And if you would, please, if you're listening to this right now, or if you're listening even on the podcast, join me for Buck Saxon with America now. Go to AmericanOutRadio.com. You can click live listen there from 6 to 9 Eastern or go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. Um, we're going to get it on other podcast platforms ASAP. I promise you that. It's going to take a little time. All right, team, join me tonight, and uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow at noon. As always, Shield Talk. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.